1: Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello, and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around and the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of your choice. My guest for today is a podcaster and writer for Pro Wrestling Musings and Eno Wrestling, Gareth, and we're looking at John Moxley versus Brody Lee from Double or Nothing 2020. How are you going today, Gareth? I'm um, not too bad. I'm excited to talk about this match uh, even though for
2: obvious reasons it will bring up some
1: sad memories
2: as well but ha- also happy ones.
1: Yeah indeed and for those of you who know me um, you will know that I have been probably chomping at the bit and restraining myself <laughs> from doing a John Moxley match. Uh, this is the first one I get to dig into here on the AEW Magic Guide podcast so I'm, I'm also very excited and also, yeah, look, I'm very excited to talk about Mr. Brody Lee and the special person that he was for AEW. Before I get into the actual match, though, before we get into it, I just want to ask you what I ask all of my first-time guests. Uh, Gareth, how did you get into AEW?
2: Well, I was, uh, I've been watching since the start because, you know, wrestling was on a downhill curve before that a little bit, at least for me. Um, I was very much falling out of love with WWE, and the only thing kind of keeping me hanging on was that, NXT was pretty decent at the time, and then there wasn't a whole lot of great alternatives. I was just starting to get into New Japan uh, from my friend who introduced me to them um, as AEW was starting up. I'd always been like a Cody guy. He he was one of my favorites when he was in WWE. And then when he left, I kind of kept an eye on him. And that's kind of how I was introduced, I guess, to a lot of the independent wrestling or New Japan or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he sort so of had his all...
1: tour where he just went to everywhere. I think he had one year where yeah. he wrestled in a WrestleMania, a Bound for Glory, and Impact Bound for Glory, and a ROH final battle, like an incredible year of just popping yeah, up yeah. left, right, and center.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to more things, but like it was only really following around one guy. Uh, and then I saw bits and stuff of like Okada, uh, Omega, but it was just stuff that like my friend was showing me here and there. I wasn't properly into it. But then that year I started getting properly into New Japan, started watching the back catalogue as well. Uh, So I was watching the rise of like Omega, at least within uh, New Japan, obviously did stuff elsewhere. But yeah, I was was watching that and, uh, you know, stuff like the Young Bucks as well. It just was then building my excitement for AEW, learning more about that. And then also just going through the history of New Japan as well. But in terms of in regards to AEW, it, it was that really. And then after Double or Nothing, I was just... Uh, sold on it obviously i watched all All in as well and that was that was mm. fantastic but double and nothing being their first show after that i was just sold on it the cody dustin match was one i've wanted for so long and yeah that's i mean that's a match we, we could easily speak about in the future <laughs> because that was that was one which i i loved as well but um it kind of promised to be everything i kind of wanted and so far it's more yeah. or less delivered on that so long may that continue, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, for those of you who are listening, I do have those very tippy top matches sort of reserved. I've put them down for later. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, we could do a lot of digging into those, but I don't want to do everything at once. You know how wrestling is? You put the best, <laughs> put the main event last. Um, we're not going to be waiting years. Bless your Tony Khan. But. <laughs> but one of the things that i i wanted to do with this project is dig into some of the matches that don't necessarily get all of the the hype and all of the retrospectives that those top matches get like the Dustin and Cody match like you know that tag match between the bucks and hangman and kitty which we will get into at some point down the line you know like stadium stampede but matches you know like this one we're doing today um Brody Lee versus John Moxley at a year later at double or nothing 2020 And with that, let's transition into talking about the match and to introduce it, the flowers that it got. With Dave Meltzer, uh, he rated it 4.25 in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Cage match currently have it sitting at 8.14 and the definitive match guide had it ranked in at 17th. And of course, I think it should probably be um, noted that John Moxley run, won the AEW Wrestler of the Year for most publications, including Wrestling Headlines, back in 2020, and he was also the top of the PWI Illustrated for the year that this match took place. So this is a highly this is a highly touted and a highly respected match, even if it's not in that very top tier. And I think we're going to be able to really dig into it today. Of course, for the build of it, um, this was John Moxley's second defense of the AEW championship that he won at Revolution in that just fantastic program against, against Chris Jericho where, you know, he had to fight through the entire inner circle <laughs> and then finally won it. Unfortunately, a week after he won it, the world changed. We all went into lockdown uh, and the crowds who Moxley had been feeding off went away. His first defense was against Jake Hager. We can get a little. We can talk a little bit about that match. I do think there's some positives to it. I think at the time I called it um, the perfect build for the not so perfect match. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gareth, do you just but we, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But do you have any memories at all of the Jake Hager versus John Moxley match? Yeah,
2: nightmares. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, I think it, it's one of those matches which kind of gets looked back on really negatively because number one, it was kind of that start of that period where no fa- there were no fans and all companies I think were kind of getting to grips with it. I think by the time AW got to Double or Nothing they more or less got to grips with it. But for the match between Mox and uh, Hager, it was definitely one they were still trying to figure out how exactly do we do this without a crowd. I think going I can't remember how long the match was, but it was it was a it felt like an age, um, and yeah. the amount that Tony Khan hyped it up, which I think he did because he was just like. We need people to watch like yep. and I don't know how else I'm gonna do this without just overhyping it. Um it did it, it's still something that gets brought up today though, in like in terms of when it comes to trusting Tony Khan. People still bring it up as like, Oh, remember that Hagen Moxley match? And it's like Yeah, it's I think he said it good. was like
1: one of the greatest matches they'd ever produced or something. And they'd they pre-recorded it so he'd had a chance to watch it ahead of time and it yeah. just had JR the soul man on commentary. Yeah, I, I Moxley was really affected. I think the the start of his run was really affected by the pandemic in that he got locked out of the Georgia tapings that they did. So he really was unable to play a, a significant role at all in the early pandemic in those first, you know, six yeah. weeks, six or seven weeks that they had apart from this match, which, as we've said, was a bit of a fizzle, Um, so not going too well. How did you feel about Moxley as AEW champion at this point, Gareth? It was weird because
2: Jericho had just had a really good reign, where mm. like not just the Moxley feud, but the Cody one, and then the bits he did with Jungle Boy and Scorpio Sky and stuff like that. Mm. It was just a very exciting title reign, and then obviously the entire world was changing, so it wasn't anything you ever really held against Moxley. But you're right in that it was, he was the start of his reign was very much affected, and it's kind of amazing that he was able to recover to the level of people calling it one of the best babyface, you know, title reigns of all time. When he did it through a pandemic and when he wasn't there for the first however many weeks it was of you know tv but yeah it was it was definitely affected but again i think moxley just being one of the best he was able to recover that very well the match we're going to get onto is a huge reason as to why i think really
1: mm. yeah that's what i would say as well as that like this this match played a big part in getting things back on track for him. Uh, and yeah. we'll get into the legacy of it, you know, where this sits against his other title defences. But, yeah, look, you won't find as many, too many bigger Moxley, John Moxley fans than, than me going around. Yeah. Uh, but, and and even for myself, I was kind of like, oh, this is not, this is not ideal. Even though, yeah. they, you know, there's there's circumstances around it, it's still not what you want to see. When you've got this champion who had so much momentum and flopping in his first defense and the title reign that he's having not have the juice at all that you really want from that top guy, that top face. Um, Brody Lee, of course, Um, this was his first major match in AEW uh, that he was having. He was revealed as the exalted one in one of the first closed shows that they had. Um, he had a few squash matches, and he had a number of vignettes that sort of showed him to be this really highly strung and, but powerful and intimidating cult leader, sort of inspired by Vince McMahon. I thought there was like some um, David Miscavige, um, the leader of Scientology influence there in the, the vignettes that they were having. And he set himself up as this sort of powerful leader of the Dark Order. Um, the Dark Order was one of the sort of poison chalices of AEW early on. One of the things that was used to beat the beat the the writers and the bookers with, and rightly so. Some of it was really terrible. Gareth, what did you think of of Brody Lee coming in taking over the Dark Order, and what did you think of his early presentation? It was it, it was a funny one because.
2: I was always a big fan of Brody Lee uh, when he was obviously Luke Harper in WWE. I always was one of those people calling for him to get a push. I remember there was a WrestleMania, I think the one where he faced Randy Orton and everyone just wanted a triple threat and mm. Luke Harper as he was to win the match. Like, Well, not everyone, but like a lot of online fans, and I was one of those. And then when he returned during that uh, Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan and Rowan feud against Roman Reigns, when Bryan then went babyface and he returned there, That was a moment where, like, one of the last moments I remember being genuinely excited by anything WWE did, um, just because I was such a big fan. But, you know, I knew he wanted to leave. And as, you know, AEW started becoming a thing uh, properly week to week, I was just like, it'd be great to have, like, Brody Lee come in and just be this monster who just tears through. Mm. Because they didn't have many big guys either uh, at the time. They've obviously got more now. But at the time, it was very much a smaller roster. And I was just like, just imagine Brody Lee against, like, Jungle Boy or whatever and it's a shame we didn't get to see a lot of those matches so when he came in I was really excited but because the Dark Order was like you said it was kind of this weird thing at the time you know the end of uh, 2019 was very bad for the Dark Order and they were not quite as bad by the time Brody came in just because they'd done a bit of recovery on a lot of that stuff Mm. but it was still one of these things where I was like ah I've been looking forward to him coming in and now he's joining these dorks (laughs) <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it turned out to be, a you know, a blessing in disguise because he actually managed to save the Dark Order um, and, you know, get them over. And it was only like a couple of weeks after, you know, his debut where I was a little bit like, obviously, I was happy to see him. But then it was just mm. a bit like, I'm not so happy about what's going on exactly in terms of him being with the Dark Order. But it was only a couple of weeks later where I was like, actually, this is pretty good because he was doing mm. really good work. Uh, like you said, those vignettes. Uh, I really enjoyed those. And by the time they got out of QT Marshall's gym and uh, properly into that feud with John Moxley, the actual builder this match, I was really enjoying it. There was a promo that Brody Lee cut where he would taken out John Moxley. He's basically just staring at the title and mm. out, outlining why he, you know, wanted to face John Moxley and stuff. And that was a really great promo. And then there's this funny moment where like John Moxley said dude all you had to do was ask and then Brody just tears him apart again yeah Um, yeah and yeah so like it was something that initially I was skeptical on but it didn't take very long for me to uh, Mm. me personally anyway to get turned around on it obviously I know for a lot of people it took a little bit longer but I think even then by most by the end of this match Moxley and Brody most people were over that and were like okay let's actually see where this goes now so yeah, I don't think it actually took that long just because of the quality of the work he was doing in in those vignettes and stuff.
1: Yeah, I I remember the ones that I remember specifically. There was like the steak the eating the steak vignette. Yeah, and, and he had this just really bloody raw steak and these and, and he he was forcing the people to watch him. And then there was the one where the the guy coughed. Of course, that's a very famous thing that Vince McMahon yeah. just cannot stand, and he you know went off on him, and just cutting this incredibly intimidating figure and he's got these guys around him who are like john silver and alex reynolds (laughs) at the time they're like jokes and you know they're they're just quivering in their boots the presence of this guy and he also brings in preston vance who at the time like we didn't know anything about him other than he was just just this jacked dude who (laughs) actually looked quite menacing and had a one-on-one match with john moxley which was you know, not I mean it was nothing to write home about, but it was still like, wow, the look at the change that, that this influence has brought already. These guys aren't a joke anymore. Like they're actually this guy is intimidating, and he's bringing in these people who are going to be even further intimidating, uh intimidating presences. And yeah, as you said, there's that he he stole the championship off John Moxley, and he. He, he did this brilliant thing actually, where um, in that that beatdown that you're talking about, where he um, they beat down John Moxley, and John Moxley just gets a microphone and says, "If if you wanted a match, all you had to do was ask," and he walks off, but he actually leaves one of his um, minions out there for John Moxley <laughs> mm-hmm. at John Moxley's mercy uh, and of course Mox being you know the guy that he he is takes him out and takes out his frustration and anger on him and Brody Lee he's you know he has no sympathies for that because he can't tolerate weakness which you know it, it just was an incredibly powerful performance I think and it, he he built and built and built down you know down the line after this match but early on just came on as this incredible presence in the roster and he would he would maintain that and, and only only continue to build on that i feel like did you have anything else you'd just like to add about Brody lee or about the build to this match before we get into the the match itself
2: one thing i would like to say is that like obviously we're talking about Brody's inspirations and stuff for, for this kind of character and one of the ones who said was like kind of gangster films and stuff like that basically him being like the boss of like a gang and it was kind of funny because he very much acted like that but he brought up like John Silver and Alex Reynolds and like the guys around him very much weren't so it was this really kind of comedic Mm. uh juxtaposition in his presentation Mm. and the people he's actually leading just kind of being jokes and that's that's really kind of what really helped them get over particularly on BTE and stuff with like (laughs)
1: the papers yeah
2: all that great stuff um and yeah it was just one of those things where it's like Brody as a intimidating force was always going to be great because his facial expressions the way he carries himself has always been Mm. brilliant but like I was thinking more as like just someone that comes in and kind of just like destroys people and stuff and Mm. he actually created a much more nuanced proper character than I ever thought Mm. that like Not that he could, but just that they would do with him just because of how it'd been Hmm. used in WWE, mostly been silent and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was really nice to see him do something new and really push himself as a performer, like, uh, and from a character point of view as well. Like, it was really nice to see what he could do and stuff, Hmm. Um, not just in the ring, which I think we'd all seen anyway. But like, yeah, that other side of him was was really great to see.
1: Yeah, particularly the command that he showed on the mic, just and the yeah. the way he could, the way of work that he had with words to just cut to the chase and and cut people down, and mm-hmm. as I said, just exude this power and intimidation that he had. Uh, the yeah. they really did lead into that that contrast, particularly on BTE early in yeah. this early on in his in his um run on AEW TV. Of course, they they didn't have that they did lean into it a little bit more later on um as as the audience i guess grew more accustomed to brodie lee but straight away on bte they really did lead into that, <laughs> that contrast of um particularly him picking on uno and getting him to whack himself in the head with papers <laughs> and, oh great stuff great stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, look, we 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 should get into the match, um, of course, and the what happened on the night. So, of course, it was at Double or Nothing 2020. So, the first pay per view they had without uh, any formal crowds. They had, you know, some people at ringside. Some of the uh, the extra cast and crew at the ringside making noise. Uh, And this is the this is the second one we've done. Like this there's a second match we've looked at that was part of the empty arena. This was the other one we did was FTR versus the Young Bucks, a limited crowd. But it really must be said, like the stroke of genius it was, putting extras out there just to give some energy, even though it's not a full crowd. Um, they, you know, brought some energy to it and and gave at least a small feel of of having, you know, some ambience there as opposed to just an empty arena with two guys getting stuck into each other just an absolute masterstroke by AEW, and of course everyone copied it because it was so brilliant they had a a really great video package for this match um really contrasting the two characters mox is this unstable pissed off and dangerous um, but ultimately sort of heroic man who you know you you want to be like and you want to have a beer with And a guy who's got a motive. Like, this is a man who had achieved what he wanted, but then had it immediately stripped from him, both in the sense of the pandemic, stripping the crowds away. But then, of course, Brody Lee literally stripping the title from him. So, this anti hero just pissed off and with a mission. And then, of course, you've got Brody as this intimidating, powerful man, as we've talked about, who's using people around him to get the things he wants and, you know, using these people as tools, as as props to do his bidding uh and in this case it's get the AEW championship uh so this you know really great contrast of characters that summed up in this video package uh and then when they come out they've got and i i love this touch gareth security um dividing yeah. up the ring uh that just always gives it a big match feel to me and, and sort of adds an element of danger
2: yeah it, it was really funny because like um Obviously, the match itself, I think, was a no disqualification. Although you wouldn't really know it actually watching the match because it feels like they just tear each other apart Mm. using whatever they can find. But it's always like just about within the rules. But yeah, those the security holding them apart was or, you know, dividing the ring at least was was really good, especially because like in a time like this, anything you can do that just kind of distracted us from the fact that there wasn't a crowd was great and that kind of just built the energy within it I, there was i think there's just like a minute period or something like that where moxley's making his entrance and brody's just staring at him mm. like with with his you know his brilliant stare that he does and it was just like very menacing but again building the atmosphere where there really wasn't an atmosphere there just for them so they did yeah. have to kind of create that um and yeah i think i think it was a, a great little touch like you say Probably something that, that generally goes under the radar you know but a really really great touch and that video package um you brought up a great point a point uh, of moxley having a motive obviously for a challenger there's always a motive in that you know the, the title and stuff but it's always great when you can invest further in something than just who's going to get the piece of metal at the end of the match and moxley like you said his his motive of having kind of he's kind of had everything taken away from him and despite the fact he's got the title to lose he kind of comes into the match with like nothing to lose and
0: mm.
2: it's brilliant but then also again uh, Brody lee it's not just it's not just the title to him that that solidifies him as the top dog and that, that solidifies him as the guy so there's an ulterior motive not just to actually having the title but like an egotistical one as well so yep. It, it was really it was really great stuff, really, considering I don't think it was the original plan either. I can't imagine they planned, uh, oh, yeah, Moxley's first pay-per-view defense will be against this guy who's not been here very long. Um, before the pandemic struck, it really felt like MGF was being built. And then mm. they realized, obviously, he wasn't at the tapings either. And I think they realized we need more to build this match. And at the time, there was still some hope that maybe by the summer there would be a crowd. Even mm. though, obviously, <laughs> we look back yeah. now and it was it was all, you know, how naive we all were. I'm not happy the pandemic happened, obviously, but I am happy mm. that Brody got this match because, obviously, uh, mm. in hindsight, we know he didn't get much time. And mm. it's not really a blessing to disguise that, but yeah. it's, a, it's a good thing that came out of a bad situation yeah, for me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and Brody when he comes out, he's wearing new gear. He strips off his robe. He's wearing his new gear, and it's the gear that he—I didn't like the gear that he was wearing before that. It had that the ones that he was wearing before that were the ones with like the scars and stuff on it. There's fake yeah. zips and things. It just never worked for me until this gear, which immediately was fantastic, and it was the one that he wore until for the rest of his run with AEW. So you know great great to debut in the biggest match possible yeah. um, and you know mox comes in his usual in intense st- self and as you said brody's just staring a hole at him mox is yeah. like pacing like a caged animal like just this rabid animal who wants to get at him and brody intimidates dasher into announcing him as the self-proclaimed aw champ- world champion you know as we've said his thing was that he uses people and he intimidates and bullies people and like it's just such a immediately perfect um example of that as they go to do the introductions uh and i when i was watching this you you mentioned you thought it might have been no dq i have a memory of it being no dq as well but everywhere i've looked doesn't seem to mention that so i think it was if it was it may have been no dq if it wasn't it was kind of that referee's discretion we need to get a we need to get a result and, you know, are you really going to yeah. stop these two? <laughs> Do you want to be the person well, that, that, that was... steps in between John Moxley and Brody Lee? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's
2: what, um, J- there was a moment on commentary and JR was like, you know, the ref, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to disqualify. These guys yep. he doesn't want to count them out. Neither of them want that. And we all want to see a winner and stuff. Mm. But like, then there's, there's other moments where like Moxley throws one of the chips at Brody's head and he's like, mm. that surely that's a weapon. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I think it's just one of those things where like the ref decided, look, if I disqualify either of these guys, they're going to kill me. So mm. I'm just going to have to let them do.
1: And and they're both they're both in for it as well. <laughs> like yeah, neither yeah. of them, are neither of them are, are, fl- are flinching from using anything and everything around the, the ring at the time. And it starts off really like the match starts off really fast. Mox immediately, as we've said, he's really pissed off, really motivated, stripped of everything, needs to get everything back. immediately charges Brody Lee. Um, Brody immediately reverses him into the corner. There's, like, trading hard strikes <laughs> from the get-go. Within minutes, they're on the outside. Brody, like, hits this giant suicide dive within the first minute and a half or so. Um, sorry, Mox does that and then Brody does that. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell that these two, like, know each other and, and respect each other and are friends by how hard they're going at each other. <laughs> like, I feel like with wrestling, you'll see two people who might not like each other or might not – you know, not know each other so well will be a bit tentative. But, you know, two people are really close when they're really just clobbering the crap out of each <laughs> other. Um, right from the get-go, you've got this sort of contrast of Brody Lee being more powerful and smarter, setting up traps and countering John Moxley, um, but that only firing up John Moxley more and making him more pissed off. And you've got them suplepsing each other through barricades on the outside, big chop exchanges, these guys worked out really early on in pandemic wrestling that one of the cheat codes that you can do um, is to just smash into each other really, <laughs> really hard and go really hard and fast. What did you think of the early going on in this match, Gareth?
2: It was great. It was just, I think it's exactly what we all needed, especially where it was placed on the card as well, getting towards the end. It's like mm. you don't yeah. want to see Brody Lee throw Moxley in a headlock and grind him down. Yeah really. You just want yep. to see th- these two guys just go at each other, mm. um, especially, again, when you haven't got that crowd and you're getting towards the end of a pay-per-view. I was trying to remember when I was doing my notes with this, like, how I felt, like, at the time, um, and I just have this memory of just, like, I don't know if I actually had a big smile on my face, but that was the feeling, just having a big smile mm. on my face and just be like, this is great, just particularly early on, but throughout the whole match, really. Yeah. But, yeah, like you said, there was there were those two dives which kind of like uh mox did one and then they had a little brawl and then brody did one and then he he dominates for a little bit and then mox manages to come back into it they had that great very japanese kind of style of like yeah had, uh the the exchanging of strikes um and like very different ones there was a point even where uh, jr was like I think those Asian wrestlers really like their <laughs> their their open palm strikes, and then Excalibur says, "Yeah, yeah, big thing in Japan or something like that," and it is quite funny. But yeah, it was very much like inspired, obviously by that um, Moxley. Obviously, we know is very much takes a lot of inspiration, and Brody as well. Um, he's got he harkens back a lot. Well, a lot of his inspiration obviously comes from what he grew up on, all Japan, and then obviously stuff like Bruiser Brody. That, that great. Um, uh, bruce of brodie stomp as well in there which mm. i think excalibur or it might have been shivani or someone brought up on commentary which is a really does. great yeah yeah jr yeah um so yeah they were just really going for it i think there was a, a gotch style pile driver which like Brody just kicks out of and that was yep. just a move they just did like yeah. it just shows you how kind of fast and kind of uh mm. hard hitting this match was the fact that like suzuki's finisher was just basically
1: just a uh, just a move not even for a near fall really yeah i love how this does actually give me it gave me big vibes of the matches that um mox had with suzuki and tomohiro ishii in new japan which of course as we've said it is a giant strong strong style battle almost this is um we've just got these two guys charging at each other from the start they're not exchanging headlocks they're just tearing into each other and i love how mox picks up the gotch-style piledriver from Suzuki. And he's used that throughout, actually. And I love, yeah. like, that continuation and, and how he's gone to New Japan. He's had this match with the guy who he now considers to be, like, a great rival of his, and he's actually picked up a move off him as well. Uh, I love that. And I love their selling. You know, they're not waiting around. There's not a lot of time where they're sort of just lying down, selling exhaustion like you know may happen in some matches because uh, they just want to keep the energy levels up but when they are selling you know they're really gritting their teeth through this pain that they that they're going through and they're really pushing onwards despite the fact that they know that they're they're hurting and they know they're yeah. getting hurt and they know that they're in a war and as we've said they're going all over the arena there's like this tiny little timetable that mocks sets. Sets the stairs up next to and they tease like Mox getting powerbombed by Brody Lee um through yeah. this tiny little table. <laughs> um and instead Mox reverses it, sending Brody over. They don't smash through it, because as I said, it's tiny. He just flips <laughs> overwards and there's this great like camera shot. And this is a really cinematic match. And this is something I'll I'll talk more about later, but there's this great shot after Mox reverses that powerbomb and flicks. Brody lee through the timetable where mox just sort of winks at the camera and i was just like <laughs> bang that is his character there like he's yeah. you know he's this even though he's this violent intense guy he's also got like some charm to him and just he just drips cool um yeah. as well he's a violent man but he's also a guy you'd love to have a beer with and yeah. just after <laughs> he's done this thing he just winks to the camera um, <laughs> but yeah from that Brody lee just rises up like swinging they, they're just telling this story that mox can damage Brody lee all he wants but this man is a monster um who's just yeah. going to keep coming back from anything that happens to him yeah it's it's pretty just
2: straightforward but that is the story really of this match is that like mox is he can take a beating and he can give one out but Brody just seems like he's not gonna die like again he sells that table spot for a bit but then like before long he's is up on his feet and like there's not really a period where mox really or brody really to a large extent anyway like has this period of domination because like <laughs> so they they just keep going for each other and then one guy will find a way to find some kind of reversal or a way to you know use one's momentum against you know their opponent and stuff and it is just them kind of going at each other but particularly as you move towards the end like they're really telling that story that like Brody just can't be killed like mm. <laughs> and I was literally I remember when I was watching it the first time like I was like slightly hopeful because I really like Brody even though I didn't want Moxie's title ring to end slightly hopeful I was like oh my god are they just gonna randomly s- flip the title onto him because it just seemed like you know he was taking so much and it's like what are they actually going to do to actually end it um because <laughs> i don't know and obviously with the pandemic and stuff there were all these things where it's like i don't know maybe they just think we'll save moxie's title room he can win it back and we'll just do this now because you know mm. and it's it was a time where like felt like really anything could happen so there was actually they managed to create a sense of doubt in my head even though any logical thinking really says no mm. because it was moxie's second title defense but yeah particularly as, as you're moving towards the end like towards that ending sequence Mm. you um before you got there you're just thinking what does mox
1: (laughs) have to do in order
2: to get the win and then eventually you actually see what he does but yeah yeah it was just it it was crazy (laughs) throughout really
1: crazy and this next few minutes after um, Brody gets put through this table is probably the
0: what's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.
1: Only period of like sustained dominance where Brody gets on offense. Um, he puts suplexes, Mox through the giant one of those giant wooden playing cards that's at ringside, uh, and yeah. takes the time to stomp on Mox's face with <laughs> the playing card. Just that's actually the second time he, he interacts with the Moxley pictures that are at ringside, yeah. which I thought was interesting. He's like, can't even stand the fact that the, there's photos of this guy around the ringside. Uh, and Mox barely makes it back to the ring. And as soon as he gets there, Brody's there, straps pulled down, and gives him one, that, that fantastic big boot you mentioned, um, yeah. and then a huge powerbomb. And when Mox kicks out, Brody Lee just shouts, like, no! just <laughs> rage-fueled. And then Mox rises up from the corner, like, punching himself in the face with a crazed <laughs> look in his eyes. Like, how good are these two men's facial expressions?
2: Yeah, that's that's one thing. Like I've always said about Brody, he's like he's my favorite in terms of like facial expressions. Because like no matter the emotion, really, he's he's a fantastic actor. Mm, um, yeah. and you saw that in the vignettes and stuff. Like, and it it really wasn't a surprise. It was just the fact we hadn't seen it, but mm. the fact that he he was able to really create such a great on screen character because. Obviously, in WWE, you know, his part in the Wyatt family, he was great in that. But, like, it was very much a character who was to the side. Uh, Bray Wyatt was the focus. Mm. But, yeah, here, like, he was really able to come into that. And those facial expressions, they they tell so much. And then Moxley as well is just, like, mm. again, he's just the guy who's great at everything, really. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it's no surprise. But, like, these two really are, like, that's a great point to make because they are two of the best when it comes mm. to... That, especially in the heat of a battle they know when to mm. pick those moments to to show that um yep. and again that frustration from Brody when Mox kicks out of a power bomb uh is a great moment because it just like you just you're watching it and you're just like oh god I don't, I'd mm. never want to come across this man because it feels like if you just like if you came across him in a coffee shop and you accidentally knock his coffee over and say i oh, sorry I'll, I'll buy you a new one he, would just, yep. he won't listen he'll just be like yeah <laughs> he'll just take your head off like he seems like a guy he comes across so much as someone who just will take no like he'll take the smallest
1: slight and yeah take giant offense at it
2: yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. uh which is funny because you know from all accounts, the actual yeah. guy is like the <laughs> nicest guy ever. Yeah.
1: But yep. he was—he's—he's
2: so, he's so good at that—that um, yeah. that kind of thing. And that moment where, uh, yeah, Mox kicks out and he has that like outburst of just frustration. Mm. It's just—it's just fantastic, really.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, I think the one thing that most people remember from this match, the one moment and spot is what they get to next is where they they sort of brawl up onto the stage and they they start trading blows and then Mox hits that incredible paradigm shift through the ramp that's heading to the ring and they both just go straight through the wooden ramp shot incredibly you could just see just their feet sticking out cuz they've just gone so far into it and the ref like is sort of leading in there trying to work out what's You know, what does he do at this point? And Mox is the first to just, like, crawl out of this hole, just crawling back to the middle of the ring on his his arms, can't even raise himself up. And as he's trying to rise himself up, just this is one of my favorite shots in wrestling, in the background just behind him, you just see this monster (laughs) rising up from this hole with blood coming down (laughs) his face and rage, and you're just like, as you said, like, how can they kill this man? <laughs> that that shot is just so incredible and so dramatic and so cinematic. AEW sometimes doesn't get their production right. And at this point, they were, you know, really still finding their feet. They would miss the odd shot, particularly when there was lots of going on in the ring. But, man, they absolutely nailed it in this match in particular um, and particularly with this shot.
2: Yeah, you're right to say that that is the spot everyone just thinks of because it's just like it was that moment and I think people forget there was actually quite a bit after that that Brody still had to go mm. through, which again just shows like <laughs> them telling that story of how do you kill this man. But yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that shot I'm in complete agreement. Like one of my favourite things about Brody Lee is I basically already said, but those facial expressions and the way he f- he's so good at just finding like the moment to do something. Mm. And the way he just rises up behind Moxley, he's, like, crawling out of the thing, mm. was was so brilliant. Even, like, um, the referee's, like, selling of them going through. Because he doesn't call for the doctor immediately, which is something sometime, something that refs sometimes do. And it kind of just tells me, like, before they've even properly checked or whatever, mm. it just tells me, ah oh, they're trying to work an angle here. Mm. But this, I can't remember who the ref was. I think it was Paul Turner. But he was uh, kind of just on the ring or... Onside the, the ring there, mm. and then just looking down, he just looked so like genuinely like what's happened. And I I, I remember mm. that at the time being a little bit worked was that plan? Was that plan? I was watching it on uh, call with my friend Kieran, and Kieran was like, "No, nah, that was that was definitely like <laughs> <laughs> those stages don't just crumble." Yeah, like that, like that. but I was like so worked to, to the yeah. moment that I was just like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what's going on?" Um, and, yeah, Paul Turner was brilliant at that. And then eventually he does call for the doctor, and then the doctor's kind of looking down, but, like, doesn't really know what you can do because yeah. these guys are not exactly the guys <laughs> who are going to call for <laughs> medical assistance. And then yeah. Mox, yeah, and then You're you have that moment when... guys away from the fight, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you have that moment when Mox crawls out and then Brody rises up, just yeah. as he said. And, yeah, it, it was fantastic. It's something that kind of just is burned into my mind. Oh, like... <laughs> how great mm. it was. And that image in particular, you said, uh, where he rises up, that's, that's the one like lasting memory that really stands out from this match. Yeah, yeah. Um, also there was a great thing before that like, when they were on the stage, like Brody's the one that kind of points out or, or points to like the bit where they go through. He, he's initially trying to do it. And I love like the idea of Mox, like just comes into everything, calling it on the fly. Um, obviously that's a spot they actually would have planned out, but, in in the world of Mox's character just him just being like either I'm going through that or you are so yes. you're going through that <laughs> um, and it was it was a great little thing because I, I love it I loved it when like was Bro- trying to set him up and then Mox just goes nope and then just puts him through it it was fantastic yeah. as well but yeah no <laughs>
1: And yeah look as you said I think most people in most people's memories this match ends pretty much straight after that. And in my memory it had as well but then when I rewatched it like there's actually an extended sequence which is so good where you know back in the ring Brody goes for a discus lariat Mox counters that into like the dirty deeds version of the paradigm shift and Brody Lee kicks yeah. out at one. <laughs> it's just like I'm off my couch at this point even on the rewatch and then Mox just just rapidly delivering elbows and knees Biting Brody Lee's head, hits an elevated paradigm shift. Brody Lee kicks out at two. At that point, I don't think anyone had kicked out of that move since he debuted it against Juice Robinson the year earlier. Um, I don't think anyone had kicked out of the elevated paradigm shift. Um, yeah. And then just Mox is just like, uh, grabs a rear naked choke. Brody's just gritting his teeth. There's blood like in his teeth um, before he like finally pa- passes out and the ref has to stop it. And then, you know, in the post match, Mox is flipping off Brody Lee as he celebrates with the title. He gets in the camera and he's like, "You want to know what happens if you disrespect me? Let that be a lesson." <laughs> like, man, what an ending to the match! It's just this match, as we said, it gets off to a canter from the word go, but the way that they elevate it with the and, and climax it is just phenomenal.
2: Yeah, yeah, it it is fantastic and. Like I say, like them going through the ramp is this the the thing that everyone remembers? But actually, like that those two extra paradigm shifts as well. Um, Brody kicking out a one was something that like I remember because t- I was just I was expecting coming into the match I was expecting Mox to win, but I just really wanted Brody to have a good showing. And I just felt like just as he hit that because when he hit the the normal paradigm shift, like not the elevated one, mm. I was just like, yes, he's gone through the ramp, but. I don't want it. i don't want the match to end and i, I i'm not i'm not mm. satisfied with that And l- luckily they didn't end it there uh, and then the elevated one i was just like oh i just want, want a little bit more and then it kicks out and i was like great <laughs> and then they do the the choke and at the time i remember i was a little bit disappointed because i was like i'm i'm very much someone who likes to see someone fade like mm. you can see like i've seen people get locked in you know dangerous holes and stuff for a good like almost a minute like in real fighting and they don't fade and they manage to find a way out of it or whatever. Like, obviously a lot of the time they don't, they end up tapping out or whatever. Mm. But like when someone like passes out so quickly, that kind of bothers me. But rewatching this, he doesn't actually pass out. The ref just goes, you're not actually able to defend yourself. So I'm going to have to stop the match. Um, cause mm. I remember, I remember when I watched it the first time, I thought he, like they kind of told the thing of him passing out, but mm. he wasn't. And then at the end, like he's just there lying. Like, cause and finally the uh the adrenaline wears off and he's just kind of staring up at the, the ceiling just for a good few minutes and he's just there like mm. so everything's kind of hit him now and it's just kind of like it's a great moment there for Brody's character um where he just has to kind of confront that like within himself confront that failure to win and the you know being beaten for the first time uh and mm. then Moxley just screaming down the camera like like you said yeah and then there was this there was this moment where uh, it's r- very funny looking back in hindsight, but um, obviously Brian Cage had debuted earlier after Mox says, you know, whoever, you know, you don't want a piece of this. And then one of them, one of the commentators says, like, oh, well, Brian Cage wants a piece of it. He's next up, as, as we found <laughs> out earlier. And uh, Looking back in hindsight, just being like, wow, well, that's weird looking at where he is now. Um, but you know, that's a different story, different conversation. But it was just a yep. funny thing. But at the time, just thinking like uh, this new this another new monster's just come into the company and doing this, and Mm Mox is just he doesn't care. He's just screaming down the camera about how nobody nobody wants anything from him, and it's just it's just fantastic from him because that's exactly what endears him to us as fans is that like all these dreadful people like Brody Lee the character obviously, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) but all these like horrible people coming in. Brian Cage obviously just took out Darby Allen, like just yep. destroyed him and particularly went out of his way to do so. So they were very much getting him over as a heel. Mm. They really went out of their way to to uh make him basically a similar kind of thing as Brody Lee. And I, I just remember thinking, like, oh, this Tatarane this is gonna be great kind of after mm. all. Like he's just gonna tear through all these dreadful people. Yep. Obviously, eventually he got to MGF as well, which is another one which was obviously building, and it was just like John Moxley's just the man of my dreams. (laughs) That's kind of just the memory I have, like, of being left with after this match
1: in particular. Yeah. A thing I want to do is help the internet wrestling community redefine what a cinematic wrestling match is and what that term means, because I don't think the current usage of it is wholly accurate in that a cinematic match now is what I'd call like a predetermined, sorry, pre recorded match that often involves. Uh, extraneous sort of settings and and is not necessarily set in a wrestling ring I'm not sure what I'd exactly define it as but I feel like cinematic can also be the way you shoot a match um, the way that the people in it react to each other Um, one of my favorite moments in all of wrestling is in Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi at the G128 the final of that where Kota Ibushi like backs Tanahashi down into a corner and it's almost like an anime moment where or a a movie moment where the hero like leans down and sees the the sand dripping through his fingers and flashbacks to all the memories of the people that he's fighting for and then just roars across the ring and to me that feels like a cinematic moment in that it reminds me a lot of film and the way that film operates and I feel like this match is very cinematic in the way that it's shot and the way that it tells this story particularly one of my favorite endings to a movie is the ending to the first Terminator. And I feel like this match almost does the same thing where you've got the Terminator who throughout the whole thing is just this unstoppable force that keeps coming and coming. And all the heroes can do is like flee from it and buy themselves just a little bit more time to try and, find a way to take down this thing and and the whole progression of the movie is them just constantly trying to outrun and buy themselves that extra minute to see if they can work out a way they can you know terminate this terminator destroy this unstoppable robot and at the end they flatten it with this giant anvil that comes down and flattens it And you're like oh well that has to be the end of it and then the light flickers on and it just <laughs> crawls towards them. And you're like, what can these people do? They're never going to be able to escape. And that's how I feel like the, any of this match is. it's like, what can John Moxley do to put down this, this monster that just keeps coming at him and coming at him. And I remember at the end because of the the ending where he, he passed out, there was like this discourse floating around, you know, in the worst parts of the internet saying that like, oh, Brody looked weak. And I was like, how can you watch this match and think that like, you don't watch Terminator and think that the Terminator looks weak at the end because they have to yeah. dip it in a thing of lava to to destroy it. It's just such an incredible way to put this guy over. As we said like he came he came across in these initial um initial vignettes as just this powerful intimidating man and he could not have fulfilled that more in the ma- in this match. I don't know if there's a way he could have done, apart from winning, of course, yeah. um, but in loss, I think there's a way he could have been able to fulfil that initial character um, more than what they actually did here.
2: Yeah, no, you've, you've nailed it, really there. Like, the one thing for me as, like, someone who, you know, was really big into Brody and didn't want to see him just be a title challenger and then fade into the background or whatever, mm. was I wanted to see him, you know, really show what he's all about. And they definitely achieve that Mm. to the point where when we then got to the the Brody versus Cody match um the first one obviously when they set that up I was like I just couldn't see I thought Cody was going to retain as I think most people did but I just couldn't see a way as to how that happened I was like Mm. I don't really see how they're going to do that without harming Brody, basically and obviously Mm. he won and that was you know brilliant and all that. But like, yeah, it was it was to the point where it's like I'd seen I'd seen Brody be defeated, but I still come the next big match, couldn't see how he could possibly lose. Number one because he wasn't facing Mox, but um, like even someone like Cody, who's a big star in himself and stuff, even though he's a different style from Mox, I just couldn't see how. And then eventually, obviously, when we got to mm. that, uh, what's the word? It was uh, a dog collar. Dog collar, that's the word. Yeah. When we got to that, it took a match like that for Cody to actually mm. be able to overcome Brody. and that's that's mm. the thing with like monsters and wrestling and stuff. like like you say, like ultimately, they are there basically to be overcome. They are mm. the obstacle for the good guys to overcome. Um and yeah, it's the same like in the Terminator or any movie where you've got like a, a figure like that. Um, these these characters exist within storytelling to be overcome. So, you know, as much as you've got to make them look (laughs) absolutely, you know, unbeatable for like most of, you know, the story you tell come the end of it, they generally have to be overcome. And that's why, like, when it came to Cody versus Brody, the first match, there was no point in doing a 15 minute match and then having Brody, you know, get the win Mm. because what's the point? He has to just run through him and then you build to the ultimate match where he again b- gets overcome and mm. it's it's a it's an unfortunate thing for for you know people who are bigger because if you're not in we you're gonna mm-hmm. be you know obviously if you're in WWE you're probably gonna be a star but <laughs> in a in a, like lance archers kind of had to find his place because he can't just wrestle every week because if he wrestled mm-hmm. every week he would either have to beat everyone or lose way too often it's this kind of difficult yep. thing when you've got a rating system or, or a ranking mm-hmm. system sorry or anything that makes any logical sense Mm. is that like you've got to find your ways in which to do them and tell tell the stories and stuff even with someone like Malachi who isn't physically big they've got to find the ways the places he can lose and Mm. tell the stories behind that and yeah and so they managed to do it fantastically in this Mm. match basically Um, and even though at the time there was that moment where I was like oh I I felt like he just passed out a little bit too quickly. He doesn't actually pass out. It's just the fact that he's not responding and then he's just mm. laying there on the ground. Like he, He's just kind of like, like you say, as he's in the hold, there's a moment where he, he's he's fighting, but he hasn't mm. can't physically fight because he's actually reached his limit finally. Mm. Um, <laughs> and you see it in his eyes and then that you see that go and that's when the ref then mm. calls it. And it's just, again, it's actually quite a... Uh, it's brilliant acting, again, from Brody, And again, mm. going back to that cinematic point that you made, um, It's it kind of ties into that as well.
1: It's interesting you mention Lance Archer because he actually wrestled earlier on this card against Cody um, and mm. got beaten for the TNT Championship. And I was just, wh- when you were mentioning that, I, I was and talking about Giants, and I was thinking Lance Archer's probably had his best matches against John Moxley, uh, particularly yeah. in AEW. <coughs> and I was thinking about why and i think probably the reason for that is mock with moxley's character he's a he's not a face that needs to have this grand triumph he's the kind of character where getting past by the skin of his teeth is is just as valid and yeah. in this match that's exactly what he does like he he grits through it and has all the fire but he just escapes like if, you know, if this match had gone on longer, who knows what had happened. Whereas in the, the Cody versus Lance Archer match, it's a much more definitive ending. And that's fitting with the style of character that Cody has, um, yeah. where he's this much more heroic, traditionally heroic face rather than Moxley, who who is more gritty. And I think that's an interesting contrast there, particularly with how we've said how successfully we think this worked for Brody. And, and as I said at the start, I think this was actually a really important match for John Moxley. After that Hager match didn't quite hit how you know it should have, and how we, he probably wanted it to, and the company probably wanted it to. I thought that this was the the program, and particularly the match where he showed the champion that he wanted to be, like this badass, really cool rogue um, who would fight through anything and and maybe escape by the skin of his teeth, but he would win um, and fight with fire and heart and grit. Uh, and and violence as well because ultimately we watch wrestling we, we do actually want to watch people fight and we want to watch people <laughs> lay it down. Where do you rank this in terms of John Moxley's AEW title defenses? It's it's got a good argument to be first. I
2: did love mm. the MGF match as well. Um, yep. that was that was great because again, as I said earlier, MGF is just the said a lot about guy. his character. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's the guy you just want to see lose yeah. desperately and mox is the guy you want to see win desperately yeah and then the finish of that was great i thought because it was just kind of like mox being like ah screw you i'm gonna use it anyway
1: <laughs> yeah you which you is, cheat i'm gonna yeah. like i'll i'll get square with you i've yeah, got exactly. my own uh, like my 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 code is my own code mm. yeah exactly
2: um and then i love the eddie kingston match which i think i love More for the build. The match was great as well, though. But obviously Mm. the build was that was definitely the best build. uh, Mm. Even though the MGF build was fantastic as well. Those are the three that definitely stand out. I think this one ranks first for me, at least in terms of just a match on its own. Partially just maybe a bit of bias because it kind of validated something that I've wanted to see for a long time, and Mm. kind of showed me, yeah, he 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 is on that level, which is something that you know I've wanted for many years at that point. Mm. It it was my favourite for that reason. But I think the match as well was just a little bit like better than the others, just because, you know, like you said, it tells that story mm. of overcoming it's just it's the classic overcoming the monster story, but it tells it so mm. well. Um and Mox is just the perfect guy to do it. And then again, some of those spots towards the end and the end the finishing sequence was just so electric and fantastic. Um obviously I loved Eddie as well but I feel like mm. the match was just kind of like it was much more about those two kind of figure out their own thing and that was more yeah. a, a chapter within a story whereas this match kind of was the story mm. in, in a whole so yeah for me it's it's number one but I can understand why someone might say Eddie or might say MJF yeah. or whatever I don't I don't think the Omega match quite lived up to expectation and obviously when he beat Jericho was a great moment but again the match was just good it wasn't like amazing yeah. or anything so um uh, yeah, for me this is number one. I think. What about yourself? Because I know you're the big uh, guy, <laughs> the big Moxley guy.
1: Yeah, uh, look, I this is the one that I voted for as my singles match of the year last year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think really highly of this match and. I've, I've thought about it a lot because I also like there's a, a brilliant Darby Allen match that he has on just on a yeah. dynamite, which is just yeah. brilliant. I cannot wait to talk about that much. Uh, also the, of course, as you said, the build to the Eddie Kingston match. I don't think we've had promos that good since like on both sides. um And yeah. in terms, particularly in terms of a head to head face off, just two yeah. people throwing down promos in the ring, man, so good. And I also feel like the build to the Winter is Coming match, it felt so epic. To me, it felt like this was the most important match in all of wrestling, and there could yeah. not be a bigger match at that point in all of wrestling than John Moxley versus Kenny Omega um, because of the way they built John Moxley up and also at the time built up Kenny Omega. Uh, and for that match, I, I feel like the beginning meandered a little bit the ending was like the ending stretch was fantastic. I just think like this was 15 minutes and it's just so economical in its time. And for me, a match doesn't have to go long to yeah. to to do well. In fact, sometimes if it goes long and it's just fiddle fighting around a little bit, that's actually a negative for me. Um, going yeah. long can be can actually be a detraction. And as I said, I actually compared this to the – the match with Cody and Lance Archer earlier in the <coughs> night 20, 22 minutes, and I think could have probably used a bit of trimming uh, trimming off. Yeah, this this one for me, in terms of his AEW title defenses, I think this is this was my favorite because of a lot of it is because of Brody Lee, but also um, just the contrast of these two characters uh, and the way that they just worked so brilliantly together. The the last thing I wanted to talk about was I think it is appropriate to talk about Brody Lee because sadly this was this was possibly this and the of course the TNT title match were the two biggest moments of his AEW career. You've said that you felt very validated when this match happened. Could you just expand on that a little bit what that what you mean by that feeling?
2: Yeah, it was just like Like I said a a few times already in this podcast, like Brody was someone that I just kind of, I was drawn to as a performer. I remember that uh, Shield versus Wyatt family match in particular um, and just seeing him within that and just thinking this guy just with the right packaging and everything. He could be a star in his own right. He doesn't need to be in Mm -hmm. the Wyatt family or whatever, as much as I like the Wyatt family. And funnily enough, another match with John Moxley <laughs> in it as well. Um, the two guys that you know obviously w- worked together well. Whenever they came up against each other, they had a match in CCW as well. Which when Brody passed, I went back and watched. And mm. <laughs> whilst it's nothing, you know, amazing, it just it shows that you know where they were and where they eventually mm. came to. Um, and it was great that like they kind of kept meeting each other along the way in their wrestling journeys and stuff. But um, yeah, in terms of Brody, like uh. You, you saw that uh, back there in, in WE, and, it, and then when he uh, he spoke out about wanting to leave WE, that was before AEW was really a thing. It, mm. I think it was, it had been announced, but it hadn't, you know, he hadn't seen AEW properly going mm. uh, to be like, oh, that looks way better, I want to go over there. He just wanted out, basically. And he had a match with uh, Dominic Dijakovic, and he made a a social media post about that and that again just made me be like it's such a shame because you know I thought that was you know, just
1: not like one of the um fan fests or something at WrestleMania.
2: yeah yeah. yeah it wasn't on anything like mm. you know fil- like, it probably was filmed but it wasn't on like any show or anything it just made me just think like oh like again it's the age-old story of WWE misusing people and stuff you can mm. say it for so many people but for Brody, it was really annoying for me because it feel like it felt to me like he was someone who never really even got a chance to. Sh- mm. He obviously showed what he could do, but he was never given a chance to show it on a big a bigger stage, and it kind of just really annoyed me. Brody was just someone like a, I really wanted to see do well. Um, like mm. and again, he always came across as like a really nice guy when it came to like social media. He wasn't like, oh screw Vince, this company sucks. He was just like, yeah, I just want to leave basically. You know, I just want to and fulfill my you know myself uh, somewhere else and i think whether he'd gone to new japan or if he'd gone to anywhere i think i would have followed him um in the same way i did kind of cody at least if even if i wasn't watching the entire product just checking out what he was doing but, but it was really nice to see him leave and immediately jump into something so major and mm. for aw to really recognize what he had and stuff and mm. again it's it's kind of easier to say now because i think Tony Khan has like kind of built a lot of trust in the fan base. But even at the time, things like the Dark Order, um, even earlier in that night, people were a little bit annoyed that Lance Archer lost the way he did against Cody, as we've kind of spoken about. Um, you know. So like there were things that were kind of like niggling on people. But Brody for me was one of the moments where I was like, This is a company that I can very much get on board with um Mm. and give a level of trust to. So yeah, that was that's just what it was for me, uh, and you know, luckily, obviously Brody continued until, obviously, mm. he couldn't continue anymore, but continued to be great within AEW, and they continued to position him as someone mm. who was a threat. It wasn't just a one-time thing or whatever. Which mm. certain other companies sometimes you see that they just like we need an opponent, we'll just do this for now, and then we'll just yeah. do, do whatever, you mm. know. So yeah, it was just it was validating in my support for mm. Brody, and then also just in the trust for AEW, it, it went a long way for that as well.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll just echo everything you've said there. I know that uh, – shout-outs to Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio on the Social Suflex podcast network, uh, who was on a few weeks ago. I remember him saying really early on, like really early on in the Wyatt run, I think it may have even been 2013, definitely yeah. 2014, him just saying they picked the wrong guy. They, yeah. should, have gone, they should be going with Luke Harper here. And, yeah. you know, he, he had some really great moments in WWE, like the match with Dolph Ziggler, the ladder match that they had, was just yeah. so perfectly structured. um So, you know, so incredibly crafted. Uh, and he had that match with Randy Orton that we mentioned on the in the running into yeah, yeah. WrestleMania 33, I'm going to say. When you know Randy was feuding with Bray Wyatt, and apparently Randy Orton afterwards was trying to get them to make it a triple threat match because he was yeah. that impressed by and how the fans were the calling for it and everything. Yeah, like, it yeah,
2: so annoying um, that they didn't do it. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, as as we've said, it didn't it didn't pan out the way that I think anyone hoped um, for him in WWE, but I'm I'm just so thankful we got to see these matches um that he had this one in particular as i said we've been yeah. very liberal with our praise to it and for good <laughs> reason i think yeah but i think we'll we'll call it a wrap there today unless you have anything else you want to add there gareth
2: yeah i'll just echo that thing of like i'm i'm so glad he got this final run uh, to really show just how great he was so that you know by the time he did pass it was something where everyone really acknowledged how great he was. And then when he did pass, everyone realized if they didn't already know how much of a great guy he was as well. So yeah, just very, very glad he got that really.
1: Yeah. And it was undisputed just how good he was by the, by the end of it. It was just completely undisputed. Uh, And and in part, I mean, people would have mourned his passing, of course, no matter what happened, but I think this just adds a level of greatness to his legacy. Yeah. Look, Tribute to Brodie Lee. Um, thank you very much for giving us the this great memory in particular. Uh, and yep. thank you for for showing up today, Gareth. Can you tell a good people where they can find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at
2: Gareth underscore EW or EW, <laughs> which I think <laughs> is quite funny. But, um, and then, obviously, I do the writings occasionally on uh, pro wrestling musings um, and then also making video content around wrestling on YouTube at Ina Wrestling as well, which is what the U stands for.
1: Excellent. And as I said, thank you very much for coming on. And thank you to you out there for listening. I really appreciate uh You can follow me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. That's on Twitter. Next week uh, on the AEW Match Guide podcast, we'll be covering blood and guts, um, and I'll be with the, the implicant for that. Um, so please join me next week for that. Uh, But for the moment, thank you very much for joining me and I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore semi I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.